Reading with me, Romans 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we love you, and we're asking you to touch us today. Lord, stir our hearts, God, for the things of God, and stir our hearts for revival in the United States. And we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen and amen. I want to preach to you on the subject, God bless America again. God bless America again. I love the United States of America. It does not mean that I do not love other nations around the world. I have been privileged to go up into Canada, uh, spend a pretty good amount of time in, uh, across the border in Canada. Uh, I have a couple of times just briefly walked across the border into Mexico. I've never been able to travel down into Mexico, but I have been there. And I've flown over to Israel a couple of times and been able to be there. It's not that I don't love other peoples of the world, other nations of the world. I do. But it's okay to love your home. And it's okay to love your nation. The Apostle Paul did. Even though he was the apostle to the Gentiles, that's what he was called to be, was the apostle to the Gentiles, he still said, my heart is for my people. My heart's desire is that my people, my nation, be saved. I love the United States of America. I have been to uh, all 48 continuous states in the United States, and I've been up to Alaska. The only state I've not been to is Hawaii, and I think that that'd be a good place for y'all to send me, but not a one-way ticket, not a one-way ticket. I want to come back. Been into 49 of the states. I can testify, as Woody, Woody Guthrie said, that this land is your land, and this land is my land. I've seen that uh, ribbon of highway I have seen that endless skyway and the golden valleys. I have seen the purple mountains majesty. I have seen those uh, mountains and prairies and the oceans white with foam. I've seen the diamond deserts sparkling. I've seen the beautiful spacious skies and the amber waves of grain and the purple mountains majesty and the fruited plain. I've seen all of that from California to New York Island, from the Wedwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters. I have seen it all, and I love America. I love the promise of America. A lot of people don't understand the term ideals. They think that if someone has lofty ideals and fail to live up to them, it makes them a hypocrite. That is not what an a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is not someone who aims high and in their humanity fails always to reach that height. That's not a hypocrite. That's a human. A hypocrite is someone who claims to be something that they are not, who claims to achieve something that they don't achieve. Ideals should always be higher than our ability to reach. The moment that you reach a plateau and you say, 
this is what I was aiming for, you better set another goal out there. Because the things of life and the things of God are on an uphill grade. And if you stand still, you'll start sliding back. So America has not always lived up to its ideals. It's not been perfect. Nobody claims that we're a perfect nation. What we claim is, is that we have been a nation of high ideals. Dedicated to the principle That God created mankind and he created all men equal. And that God has given to men unalienable rights among these life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's the promise of America. It's the goal, it's the ideal of the United States of America. And I love the people of America. Don't let anybody kid you into thinking that all of the good people in America live in South Georgia. There's a lot of good people. Now, the best people live in South Georgia. The best of the best. The creme de la creme live in South Georgia. But there's good people everywhere you go. In fact, because we are so influenced by what we see on television, we might think that everybody's north of the Mason-Dixon or west of the Mississippi are godless. It's not so. There's a lot of people that love Jesus. I remember riding in California and seeing crosses up on mountains. Somebody still loves Jesus. There's still people that are sharing the faith and believing and holding on to those that are faith. I love the people of America. And let, let me say this. I not only love the people of America, I also love the people that come to the United States of America. I wish that every citizen of the United States was as good a citizen as Eris is. She's one of our new citizens because she loved the promise of America. And I think the fact that her husband was here didn't distract from it too much either. I love the people of America and the promise of America. Now, America has its problems, and we've got some very serious problems. And there are a lot of people that think that we have advanced, but to a, and in some respects we have, but to a great extent, we've come a long way down the wrong way, baby. We have turned our back on God and the things of God. We have put our stamp of approval on godliness and wickedness and perversity. We've been responsible for the murder of, I think, somewhere over 50 million unborn children since 1973. America has its problems, but let me tell you what's great about America. I can stand in this pulpit and say that openly without fear of being hauled away, without fear of imprisonment, without fear of being executed because I criticize the government or its policies. And there are people across this world wish that they could stand openly. Not only that, but let me tell you, we've seen the the videos when Dr. Hong uh, Hong Young comes. He shows us the videos of of the weeping Chinese people hidden with shades drawn, weeping over the fact that they finally hold their own Bible in their hand. And if the government of China knew that, they would drag them away 
to prison or maybe even to death if they even were caught holding a Bible or holding services. And yet you and I are here this morning lifting the name of Jesus unabashedly, unashamedly, and unafraid. We can lift the name of Jesus. Do you know what a blessing it is to live in the United States of America where we live free and breathe free and have the freedom to worship our God? Amen. Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter in 1785 to his good friend James Monroe and he said, my God, how little do my countrymen know what precious blessings they are in possession of which no other people on earth enjoy. We just don't have any way of knowing the prosperity of America. I don't mean this I don't mean this ugly, I don't mean it derogatory, but I, I rode beside one of our borders this week and looked on the American side of the border and saw prosperity and looked across the border and saw poverty. Now I want to tell you where we fail. We fail when we think we've been blessed because we deserve it or because we're smarter or better or more ingenuitive or whatever you want to say, instead of bowing our knee before the God of heaven and saying, God, you have blessed our nation. We are a blessed people. We just completed 13 days of traveling from sea to shining sea. Literally, we traveled from Georgia all the way over to California, 6,500 miles. We, we left here and we went to Texas, spent a couple of days with family there, went to the Grand Canyon, and nobody can explain the Grand Canyon to you until you see it. First time that I saw I think this is the third time that I've seen it, and it always gets me, but the first time I saw it was when I learned what the, what the term awesome meant. Because you stand at the Grand Canyon and you just go. My father-in-law said, why do you want to go there? It's just a big hole in the ground. Upside down mountain. And he's been, and by the way, he, he said, no, I'm just kidding. It impressed even me is what he said. Which is the height of compliment from a Texas cowboy. We went from there, we went over and saw the giant sequoia trees, one tree wider than this building. Those trees are so big that back before you had the uh, ability to, to uh, have the media that we have today, back when they were first discovered, people on the East Coast, Coast thought it was a myth, a lie. They just couldn't believe that the trees were as big as they said they were. Went from there on over to San Francisco across the Golden Gate Bridge and took that drive down California 1. Just, if you saw this foaming sea here, that's a picture from California. You just, you drive, and I know it's hard to believe, but on one side of you, you, you have lush green mountains and maybe some cows in a prairie, and maybe on the other side of the highway, there'll be beautiful farmland or beautiful wildflowers. The vegetation just blows your, your mind and the, and the flora that's there. And, and then dro uh, dropping off into the sea, you got this beautiful 
dark blue water that as it crashes on those rocks and foams turns into this beautiful sea foam green. I mean, it's just, it just takes your breath away. I, I, I saw so much, I, I, I literally got aggravated with it. Because every time I'd turn a corner, that view was better than the view I'd just seen. And it was information overload. And then to go on down and go through the desert and see the beauty of the desert and the mountains and the hills and the plains and all of that beauty. When we, we started off the day yesterday at, uh, at Vicksburg, Mississippi and drove on home and about, about six o'clock we were on the outskirts of Tifton, on this side of Tifton and we turned off of 82 to, to uh, come up and go through Lax on 158 and make our way home. There's not many uh, law officers checking your speed on that route. <laughs> and so uh, we turned to go up 158. And, and just, as, just as I turned, I was listening to the sat- satellite radio and I, I heard, and some of you from years past will remember this name, I heard Rosemary Clooney singing, God bless America. Land that I love, stand beside her and guide her through the night with your light from above. And just as I heard her singing that, I later on found out that was her last concert. It was the only time she'd ever sung that song publicly. It was just a couple of months after uh, 9-11-2001 And as I heard her singing that, I looked up in the sky. Cameron said, Daddy, look, there's a rainbow. And I saw a rainbow, a full rainbow across the sky. And I remembered that God is a God of promise. And I said, thank God. While someone's singing, God bless America, God puts the sign of his promise in the sky. From the mountains to the prairies, To the oceans white with foam, God bless America, my home, sweet home. Now what should our response be to such a a privilege and a blessing of being Americans? How should we respond? I think I would be preaching to the choir to say this, but I'll say it nonetheless. I think patriotism is a good thing. I think it's a good thing to be a patriot. In our text, I read to you that the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles, still had such an earnest love for his nation. He said, if you want to know what my heart's desire is, And what my prayer is, it's that God would save my nation. There are some things in life that are are positives. It's a good thing to love your mama and your daddy. It's a good thing to love your husband or wife and your children. It's a good thing to love your church and your community. And it is a good thing to love your nation. Feelings of patriotism 
are not feelings of hatred toward others. The fact that I love Crystal more than I love every other woman on earth is a good thing, not a bad thing. Right? Doesn't mean I hate your wife because I think my wife's better. I'm supposed to think my wife's better because she is. And you're supposed to think yours is better. And if you are happy in your delusion, so be it. There's nothing wrong with loving your country. I still get chills and a lump in my throat when I sang the national anthem. There's still something that rises up in me, something that swells in my chest. My pulse quickens when I sing songs like God Bless America. I don't have, I don't even know all the things that's wrong with America and I don't have all the answers to it, but I'll tell you one thing I think would help a little bit. If we got back to teaching our children to sing things like this land is your land, this land is my land, or God bless America, or America the beautiful. If we got back to teaching patriotism and love of country, nothing wrong with loving your country and being a patriot, that's a good thing. But can I tell you that it does have its limits. Some people have so mixed their Christianity with their patriotism that they can't tell the difference. But here's what Philippians 3.20 says, our citizenship is in heaven. We have a dual citizenship. And while I love America and would die for America, can I tell you it's my second home. My first citizenship is in heaven. And while I will love for and defend and pray for and fight for America, let me tell you, if the time ever comes that loyalty to our nation challenges our loyalty to the cross, you'll just have to label me un-American because I'm going on with Jesus. Thankfully, we've not had to choose that. Thankfully, that's not been to the test, put to the test yet. Yet. Patriotism's a wonderful thing, but it does have its limits. How about activism? Now, let me explain this to you because I know you'll call up in your own mind what you think that means. And you may be thinking about things you disagree with, but there's some things that I agree with. And whether you are speaking up in defense of the poor or the disenfranchised or those that have received injustice or the unborn and the right to life, all of that is activism. And let me tell you, that to a great extent, activism is not only the right of every American, it is the responsibility of every American. See, God gave us a gift in America that other nations even today don't have and nations in the time 
of Scripture did not have. They would live up under a king or an emperor. They had very little control in their government. We've been giving, given the right to live in a place where government is of the people and by the people and for the people. And with that right has come a great responsibility that because we have the right to speak, then we also have the responsibility to speak. L listen at what the Bible says. If you don't think it's important to uh, be active about social justice issues, listen at Isaiah 58 five through eight. If you think that being a Christian and a Christian citizen is just all about coming to church, listen to this. Is it a fast that I have chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I've chosen? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall speed forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. God says, I care about what happens to the poor. I care about what happens to the needy. I care about those that cannot defend themselves. So whether or not it's, uh, it's protesting or, or voting or getting on Facebook or putting a bumper sticker on your car or tweeting or whatever else you do, when you speak out against injustice, you're not being a bad American. Now, we're talking about people that do that peaceably and reasonably and rationally. We're not talking about thugs that burn down buildings or thieves that break in and steal TVs. We're talking about people that are rational. And you say, well, do you agree with everything people are protesting for? No, I don't. But I sure am glad they got the right to do it because since they have the right to do it, I got the right to do it too. And I don't have to agree with what they're saying to thank God I live in a country that they have the right to say it. I can get behind certain causes and certain causes I can and some causes I agree with, but I don't agree with everything that they espouse. I'm not interested in the gospel of social action. Some people will take social action and replace it as if that's the gospel. I'm not interested in the gospel of social action. I'm extremely interested in the action, the social action of the gospel. I am interested in what the Lord requires of me. And where scripture touches current events and current issues and policies and laws, I have and I will speak up and speak out. The church needs to do that. When our Supreme Court handed down a decision that endorsed uh, same-sex marriages, I said, that's wrong. For 35 years, I've preached about abortion, that it's a sin and a crime. But I, let me tell you, I've also 
had to face not subtle, but overt racism in churches I've pastored. I had one man get, get mad because I allowed a black family to use our sanctuary for a funeral. And he got mad and said, me and my family won't be back. And I said to him, we sure gonna miss you. You say, you didn't try to reason with him? No, you don't reason with idiocy. You can't reason with somebody that's just, listen, let me say it bluntly. There's no cure for stupid. And I'm going to tell you, there's some things that you don't pet, you don't play with, you just stand against and say, that's wrong, and we're not going to be that way. Aren't you glad that, that Jesus came to save red, yellow, black, and white? They're all precious in his sight. By the way, Jesus wasn't a white dude. <laughs> he was a Middle Eastern Jew. Aren't you glad of that? And we stand with that. We stand against those things. And it's important. Listen, we have to speak up. We have to speak truth to power. We have to hold government accountable. We have to be a prophetic voice. You say, do you think that's part of what the church does? Yeah, look at John the Baptist. Whenever King Herod had his, his uh, brother's wife, John the Baptist said, that's wrong. It cost him his head, but he said, that's wrong. The prophets of the Old Testament didn't just prophesy to Israel, even though they were Israelite prophets. They, God spoke to them. They didn't just speak to Israel. They started prophesying to all the nations around them because God is the God of the whole earth. So yes, we speak prophetically and where there is a cause, we are called into action, but it has its limits. Because there's always going to be another cause. There will always be another cause. And if you're not careful, and I, I'm, I'm not just talking about religious leaders that uh, are on the political left. I'm also talking about religious leaders on the political right. I can't afford to waste precious pulpit time preaching about politics when there are souls on their way to hell. And I'm going to tell you who wins in November is not going to save anybody, but everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I've got very strong political leanings, but this isn't my bully pulpit to tell you what I believe is for me to proclaim what thus saith the word of God. And where there are things that the Word of God speaks to and it influences and informs politics, I'm not afraid to say it. And I'm, I'm not afraid even this morning to say, I encourage everybody to vote for people that believe in keeping unborn babies alive. But I'm not going to waste my time trying to campaign from the pulpit. It's not because I'm scared, it's because i got a higher priority and a higher calling. I, I'm not criticizing him when I say this because I think he was a fine man and a good man. But when Pat Robertson ran for president back in the, back in the 80s, he asked E.V. Hill what he thought about him running for president. And he said, Pat, 
you're a preacher. Why in the world would you want to stoop to be president? <laughs> Activism has its limits. Listen to what Luke 17, 20 and 21 says. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. And as Christians, we're more concerned about the kingdom of God. We're concerned about the nation, yes. And I know some wonderful Christians that are in the political field, and thank God. We need Christian politicians. We need Christian senators. We need Christian lawyers. We need Christian doctors. We need Christian dentists. We need Christian preachers. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? We need all of those things. But I'm going to tell you the church's role is not so much nation building as it is kingdom building. Do you understand the, the, the correlation I'm making there? All of those things are important. Well, what about this? Passivism. Now, let, let me talk to you about passivism. When I'm talking about passivism, I don't mean what it ordinarily means, which is being anti-war. I believe the Bible teaches that there's just war and that Bob, the Bible teaches that government has been given the power of the sword for evildoers. Thank God we've got an army and a military that will protect us. Thank God for that. But what I mean by this is sometimes as Christians, we view ourselves as being cultural warriors but I want you to understand, this is, this is what the Bible teaches us how to live. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you, and they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. I want you to listen to me now. I'm not trying to stifle you. I am trying to get you to think kingdom thoughts. Before you get on Facebook and rant, is that just making you feel good because you're telling somebody off or are you representing the kingdom of God? Are you stirring up hate and dissent or are you a peacemaker? Are you just trying to make yourself feel better because you're frustrated like all of us are? Or are you trying to bring a soothing balm to a situation? While I'm on that, let me say this. Facebook is not your private diary, so don't treat it like it is. Okay? When you, when you forward a post, is that a post that incites or is that a post that soothes? Blessed are the peacemakers. Listen to what the Bible says, 10, 16. These are Jesus' words. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Folks, listen to me. We are not lions. We're lambs. And I know that there's something about us, especially, and I are one, something about us red-blooded Americans, 
You know, we, we are the descendants of men at men. You know, our motto is don't tread on me. But folks, I'm gonna tell you, God has not called us to be roaring lions. He has called us to be innocent lambs. We fight a different battle on a different battlefield with different weapons. We don't win people at the edge of a sword or the point of a gun or on the hearing edge of hateful words. We win people by our love, by our compassion, by our willingness to suffer. Not just our willingness to fight for what we believe in, but our willingness to suffer for what we believe in. Jesus said, I'm, yes, Jesus is the line of the tribe of Judah. But when John heard about this line of the tribe of Judah and turned to look, you know what he saw? A lamb that had been slain from the foundation of the world. I'm not talking about us being weak and scared. I'm talking about us being meek and loving and peacemakers. I'm not saying go along, get along and bury our heads in the sand and not stand up for right, but there's a difference between standing up for what is right and standing up for our rights. And even though it might not, it kind of goes against our grain, but there's sometimes you're gonna have to suffer injustice. There's gonna be times that you're gonna have to be slapped on one side of your face and turn to them the other side. There's gonna be times when you're asked to carry a load a mile and you go ahead and carry it two miles. There's gonna be times that somebody grabs you and demands of you your coat and in, in your humility and love, you give them your overcoat as well. You say, boy, that don't sound like it'll work. That's cause you're thinking worldly instead of thinking kingdomly. Jesus has called us to peace. Now, he said, beware of men, verse 17, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in synagogues and you'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how you should speak for it shall be given to you in that hour that you should speak. For it is not you who speaks, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. God has called us to be agents of peace. You say, well, does that mean then we just lay down, we're just a doormat, we don't stand for anything? No, because here's what Jesus said, Luke 19, 13. He called 10 servants, gave them 10 pounds. He said to them, occupy till I come. What that literally means is, stay about the Father's business. Stay about my business. I'm not telling you to be nothing, do nothing, say nothing. I'm telling you to be the right thing do the right thing and say the right thing. And the right thing is not a clenched fist in defiance of this wicked world. The right thing is an open hand saying, take my hand and I'll lead you to Jesus and he'll change your life just like he changed my life. Can I tell you, Jesus is still the answer for the world today. God has not called us to patriotism. 
He's not called us to activism. He's not called us to passivism. He's called us to evangelism. He's called us to go into all the world and preach the gospel of the kingdom, to baptize, make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And lo, I'm with you all the way, even to the end of the age. That's what he's called us to be and do. He hadn't just called preachers to do it. He's called Christians to do it. And I'm not sure how God will judge us on our success or failure in making converts, but I am positive at how he will judge us according to whether or not we attempted to do it. We might not always succeed. We may labor and we may plant or we may water, but God gives the increase. That's his business. But he is going to look and say, Brent, were you planting? Brent, were you watering? Best thing that you can do for our country is important, important as voting is, the best thing you can do for our country is not to vote or to rant on Facebook or to protest. The best thing you can do for our country is to pray to Almighty God for revival and proclaim that Jesus is still the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Amen. Ezekiel 22 and 30, God said, I sought for a man that would make up a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. And I found no one. God's looking for somebody to stand in the gap to make up the wall. That's the best thing that can happen to America. Proverbs 33 and 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I know you probably heard versions of this little story before, but I want to share it with you in this regard today. There was a daddy that had a business associate over. They were sitting around the coffee table trying to conduct business and the little uh, four-year-old boy was jumping up in his daddy's lap, tugging at his pants leg. He, he was just bored. He wanted to do something. So his daddy gave him a, you know, a little talker truck, tell him to go play with it. He'd go play with it. Two or three minutes, he'd be right back. His dad would throw him a ball and uh, he'd go get it and he just, everything the daddy gave him just wouldn't satisfy him. So daddy looked down and there was a Newsweek magazine uh, laying open on the, co uh, on the coffee table. And there was a, a picture of a map of the United States laying there. So the daddy got a uh, thought in his mind. He ripped out that page and he tore it up into about a hundred different pieces. He said, here, son, go put the country back together. And the little boy came back in about three minutes and he had America taped back together. He said, son, how in the world did you do that in such a short time? He said, well, daddy, on the other side of the page, there was a picture of a man. And I just put the man back together and the country fell into place. If you want to put our nation back together, 
You allow God to use you to lead somebody to Him and you put the man and the woman and the boy and the girl back together. And the nation will fall into place. Benjamin Franklin was at the second constitutional convention where we were deciding, trying to decide what form of government that we would have. And they were at an impasse. Benjamin Franklin had not been a godly man himself. But he had lived a while. And he had learned some things. And the aged doctor stood up. And he said this. He said, in this situation of this assembly groping as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us. How has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understandings? In the beginning of this contest with Great Britain, we were sensible of the danger. We, we had daily prayer in this room for the divine protection. They were in the, in, in the same room in Philadelphia where they had debated the Declaration. Our prayers, sir, were heard and they were graciously answered. And all of us were engaged in the struggle, must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. To that kind providence, we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national felicity. And have we now forgotten that powerful friend? Or do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance. I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our little partial local interest. Our projects will be confounded, and we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to the future age. And what is worse, mankind may hereafter from this unfortunate instance, despair of establishing governments by human wisdom and leave it to chance, war, and conquest. I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business and that one or more of the clergy of this city be requested to officiate in that service. Franklin said, when we were in the midst of war, we knew we needed his help and we called on him. Now we're trying to build the nation without his help. Let's call on God. Two thousand and twenty has been a difficult year.
We have had a biological disease come to our shores that has seen the death of cherished loved ones. In response to that, our economy has been crippled and we have had rioting and looting in the streets. And every time that you turn on television, it's one more bad news. On top of that, we are facing a very important election. There is trouble on every hand. And our nation is going through a turbulent and difficult time. Don't you think it's time that we pray? God bless America again.